Welcome to the Saddle Podcast. My name's Alison Barton Simmons. Oh, and I'm Ex Benedict. Now then, <laughs> and we are we're at the end of the fourth season or series because we're in the UK of the Good Life. We are. It's. Um, I'm trying not to be too sad because we've got two specials to do, haven't we? We have. I've brought my um, end of term games though. I've brought some clackers and uh, a game of kaplunk. So yeah, we've 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 made it. We've made it to the end of the four series. Yeah, it's um, it's it is quite bittersweet, isn't it? It feels like an achievement to have got to the end of all those episodes. However, we we are really nearing the end of the good life. Yes, it is sad, and this one's got a lot of pathos in it. It's quite moving at times, isn't it? This final one, which is called the anniversary, mm. so named because it's the two year anniversary of them starting their journey, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't realise. I sort of assumed because there was four series that it was like over a four-year period. I didn't realise it was so sort of exact that it was two years. They'd set two years aside. Well, of course, the first two series were both aired in 77. Yeah. And then I suppose the following year, 78, and then the following year, this one. And it brings us to his 42nd birthday two years after episode one. Yeah. So yeah, it yeah. does seem very condensed, doesn't it? Because it mm. seems like a show that was on for longer. It does, doesn't it? It's so weird that how that works. There's there's lots of series on TV where you think it was on forever because it's always been around in in my lifetime, and then you realise mm. they made like twelve episodes, and you think, God, how, how's that become such a big part of of life and and the sort of fabric of the country? Mm. Faulty Towers being a classic example, of course. Mm. Twelve episodes, and it's cemented, isn't it? I mean, it always gets voted as the Top sitcom across the world here in New Zealand, Australians, Americans, stage mm. shows on the back of 12 episodes. That's got to be some good writing. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, if it had been these days, he would have cashed in on an American remake like Gervais did with The Office. And he'd got rich off that as an as a executive producer, wouldn't he? It's, a, it's just different, a different way of doing things, I think, now, isn't it? Yeah. So, because I've been spending quite a lot of time listening to... Um, other other sitcom podcasts that are perhaps a bit more technical than ours, which is very fly by the seat of your pants and mess about and blankety blank and Bruce Forsyth and all that shit yeah. that we do. I've been listening to things like Sitcom Geeks, which is kind of the the epitome of um, sitcom podcasts, as well as two other great podcasts that are about sitcoms, uh, the Sitcom Club, which has been going for a number of years, and also Sitcom Showdown, who yep. uh, friends of friends of ours um and they're so knowledgeable those guys i thought i might given that we've come to the end of series four i might have a go at doing some highbrow stuff (laughs) oh oh exciting well a bit like we did when we tried to look at margot as the tv thatcher i've done a bit of research into the legacy of the good life and how it perhaps influenced subsequent writing and characters that have come in in sitcoms that we've seen since the 70s hmm From a sustainability point of view, there is currently a radio comedy show on BBC, probably get it on BBC Sounds, I expect, from Marcus Brigstock called The Wilsons Save the World. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, it's not really sustainability, but it's it's about a family trying to live a more ethical life, which does include um, making decisions around the environment and stuff. Yeah. Um, And it's it's okay, I've listened to it, it's quite good. I mean, it's it's totally different because it's of a different time, Mm. but... Perhaps the issue of sustainability is still 
very much hot potato, just as it was in the seventies. I think maybe it's cyclic when it when it when it comes to Brexit occurring, all of a sudden people are panicking, and we've seen that lots of lots of families are now being more self sustainable for fear of not being able to get what they need. I agree. Yeah, I think it is like like you say. It's um, there's got to be some kind of marker in time as to when it becomes popular, perhaps. Mm. In terms of TV, of course, the concept of people trying to live a healthier, more sustainable way of living has been done since The Good Life in various forms. Um, there was the Fools and Horses spin-off, Green Green Grass. Yes. Not a patch on Fools and Horses, I think everyone would agree. But that involved Boise and Marlene moving to rural Shropshire and trying to sort of become um, gentlemen farmers, if, if you like. I never watched that because I couldn't tolerate her voice. Uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't wonderful. You not miss much is all I would okay. say. Okay, um, and similarly, you're not missing much if you've never seen Bad Move, which is more recent. It's a Jack D sitcom. Um, also has Kerry Godleyman from. Yes. Have you seen that one? I have seen that one, and I, I do like her. I think she's a she's a brilliant actress. She is good, mm. um, and that's that's about if you've seen it i haven't but um all the reviews seem to indicate that it, it's not much to write home about it's about a web designer and a landscape gardener who escape leads to move to the countryside and and live a more rural life but they live next door to miles jupp who's totally self-sufficient like tom <laughs> and barbara yes yeah i like the combination of miles jupp and jack d but i think you've got to like jack d a lot to be on board is it is it very much the case of situations that Jack D can be curmudgeonly at. It's just curmudgeon across the board. Yeah. Both of those shows played the fish-out-of-water angle, I guess. And that's something that The Good Life was one of the first comedies in Britain to explore that. Although I think it's less the case with Tom and Barbara because Tom's so handy. Yeah. They don't really cop much up, do they? They do quite well. I think the the fact that they pitched it from the start that he was um, a draftsman... Mm. meant that he had he had those skills. I think if they'd have said, oh, he's a butcher and he's going to try his hand at... Although that might be quite a handy skill to have with, with slaughtering meat. Chartered accountant but, or something, though. Yeah, something that didn't involve working with your hands and thinking on your feet and getting stuck in. I think mm. something like a, a draftsman is someone that can think around something and, um, and, and a, a problem solver. Yeah, and that's what Tom is. He all through the sh- mm. all through the show, and in fact, in this very episode, we're going to look at Margot of all people salutes the goods for their way of life. Yes. So it's not a fish out of water situation, really, with with the goods. But I think, really, when it comes to sort of the legacy that the Good Life bequeathed in terms of sitcoms, it's not really about self sufficiency. I mean, the Good Life isn't really about self sufficiency, is it? It's just a, no. a device an in for different plots but really yeah. the story's about love and friendship in spite of differences i think that's it i think it was it's one of the best examples and we've said it all along throughout the whole podcast it's one of the best examples of overcoming your own ideology and getting over yourself and mm. still being able to maintain friendships with people that you love despite the fact that you're coming at it from different different points and i think in in today's political landscape that that is it's it's good advice it's a good tip isn't it that they are a good act to follow and and i don't think the show ever really challenged those ideologies it just teased them the ledbetter's yes. pompous 
pompousness, pomposity, mm. <laughs> and um, and the goods radicalism. They're yeah. just gently mocked. It's not it's not savage, tragic humour in the same way that something like Steptoe and Son was before it, or even the like Ricky Gervais stuff has been. Yeah. Since it, it's kind comedy. It is kind comedy, and it's it's uh, it's. Um, resolved at the end. I think I've said this as Which well. Which you love, podcast. don't you? <laughs> I love things being resolved at the end of an episode. I can have twenty minutes of of mild peril, and that's okay. I can cope with that. If it's if it's sort of moving on to the the following week, and I'm expected to wait, mm. I, I find that uncomfortable, and it would actively put me off watching something. So I probably missed out on loads of TV. If you've been if you've been waiting a whole week for the next episode, has there been a brass tone playing in your head that whole time? Constantly, it's just following me around the streets. I can be in the co-op and there's a brass tone as I'm picking off pasta from the shelves. And oh no, it's, yeah, it's um. I, I, but I do find um today's way of watching TV as box sets that are just everywhere. I find I find that a, a lot more comforting. But that plays into the instant gratification that everyone needs to know anyway. I suppose. That's the story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think the other thing that, that was unique about The Good Life at the time was it portrayed happy couples. Yeah. Increasingly rare at that time, I think. Couples were always in conflict. In fact, Richard Bryars had to convince Larby and Esmond, apparently, to write arguments in to make them seem like a more realistic couple. Is that right? Because they were just so happy in the original scripts. I think it adds to it, doesn't it? Especially with the Leadbetters, um, and even I think like the, the Leadbetters are like a like a, a small um, version of what we were just saying about people coming at it from poles apart and still being able to function as friends um, and in relationships. The, the Leadbetters often come at things from completely different sides, mm. but it doesn't spoil them. It doesn't spoil them as a couple. They are still able to function as a couple, and they're happy. And as they've both said in various episodes, this is just what we do. This is what we do. And it doesn't yeah. detract from the fact that they are happily married. Again, it's all about tolerance and patience and, and love and support, isn't it? It is. That's why we love it so much, I think. It's just a lovely warm cuddle of a TV show. It really is. Now, the setup of Happy Couples was did become very popular in America. If you think about a lot of familial American sitcoms, you know, yeah. Cos- Cosby Show... Oh, no. Roseanne. Um, Jesus. <laughs> no, they were happy though, weren't they, Roseanne and Dan? Oh, they were before we knew the truth. Yeah. But yeah, they were. Everybody Loves Raymond, I suppose, comes to mind as well. It's th- those type of shows where... It's... In fact, Everybody Loves Raymond is another example of a coupled couple yes. um, trope, isn't it? It Which is. You, we could cite The Good Life as being formulative, but I think in America you've got to look back to I Love Lucy, really, because that was the... The thing that showed a happy again that was coupled couples, wasn't it? Because there was yes, Lucy was. and her fellow, whose name I always forget. There was also the neighbours who were again a happy couple and a sexed up couple. Yeah. So I think maybe we can't really say that the good good life had such a seminal role in in, in America, even though it was popular over there. Um, now, but if you're talking about the overt sexuality in the show, that was novel for its time in the BBC because us being so reserved in the in the seventies in Britain, you know, no yeah. sex pleas were British. Um, it's more commonplace in com- in in modern day contemporary sitcoms because we're more permissive society, but it can be traced probably back to the Good Life in terms of actually showing that sex was present. Yeah. In in, in a marriage, 
it just you know in, in those other sitcoms where it was a battle axe relationship a battle axe and a guy just sort of trying to keep his wife happy despite her being yeah that you wouldn't ever imagine them having sex nor would you want no. to no no but the good life really did sort of um it it pinned part of the 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 feeling about the show on that that you, and it, and I think I think I know we've said that Barbara was something that that a lot of men um as, not aspired to but they they, they sort of held, held her up on a pedestal mm. um quite openly um but I think their relationship as well was something that you could put up on a pedestal and go this is prime relationship and it's it's something that you can aspire to I've seen that on Twitter as well hashtag relationship goals and pictures of Tom and Barbara yes you know, yeah, because they're a happy it, couple. The writers, the way that the, the writers wrote their their marriage, it, it was such a a move on on from, like you say, sort of very staid and very sort of post war relationships of mother and father, and um, where they called each other mother and father, and and it was like the next, the, the sort of like re- like a revolution, really, weren't it? It was moving, it was moving that idea on where yeah, you can it's actually very progressive. look at people, and, yeah. You can yeah. look at them and go, I've got, I aspire to that. I love that. That's what I want. I think, though, in terms of those uh, um, sitcoms that engender warm, calm feelings, which, again, like I say, we love, you can see that in things like Brush Strokes, which, again, was another Larby and Esmond thing, but also, I yeah. think, uh, Royal Family, getting into the 90s. Not, stri- not strictly a comedy, but Doc Martin. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um the Detectorist, which I recommended to you recently, it's, yeah, it's it's lovely feel good comedy, and I think that the archetype for that was probably The Good Life. Yeah, just very gentle dinner ladies. Dinner ladies, great example. Just yeah. very very gentle and heart just not heartwarming, not nasty comedy because you know, you can sometimes and I don't mean that in a in a negative way because there's some sort of what I would reference as being nasty comedy where someone is like the, the butt of the joke in order for it to be funny. Mm. And we're we're sort of finding fault with that person in order to find it funny. Mm. Um, the the good life and other shows like Dinner Ladies was just just humour, observation, and heartwarming, like you said. Yeah, I tried to think of an American example, but Golden Girls was probably the only one I could come up with that was all about love and friendship and tolerance, and because mm. they're all so different. But I'm sure there are lots in America. It's just that we're, we're the British sitcom archive deep dive overdrive, aren't we? Yeah, the Cosby Show. Yeah, I think it was probably. Mm. Bob Larby did state that the show was a, the Good Life was a typical example of him and John Esmond's writing style, and he said "gentle" mm. is a word that's often applied to our writing, which wasn't intentional. It just was their natural style. It came off as gentle comedy. But I was interested to read this week that although it was really wholesome, Paul Eddington revealed in his autobiography that the actors requested the swearing be toned down in the scripts. Toned down, really? Yeah, there's, there's, there's not much swearing in The Good Life, is there? Barely any. I can only remember a couple of... Uh, and I found it quite shocking when I heard it as well. It felt... I think if there'd have been more, it would have it would have felt a bit out of place. Well, yeah, Paul Eddington didn't think the characters would curse much, being middle class. And, yeah. And I think he was right. I mean, this is a good, great example of, of a cast working so well with the writers to find the right balance, to get a feel for their characters. And like I said earlier, the advice that... Uh, Richard Bryars had about writing in arguments. Yeah, that's really good, isn't it? On one occasion, the word sod was used and there were numerous protests, apparently. Can you imagine that what? today? 
<laughs> and he shouted, he shouted "Stupid bitch!" about five times, and they, he didn't. They, they didn't like sod. They wouldn't have wouldn't have blinked to that in the seventies, would they? Why sod? I didn't think sod was a was no, too bad. Me. Maybe it's a north south thing. There was also mm. m- mention of Barbara's menstrual cycle, and the BBC got all knickers in a twist about that and wanted to cut it. Did they? You know, it's just hashtag different times. Not that progressive. Well, how progressive can you be? You're off your time, inevitably, mm. aren't you? But if you look now, you've got Shits Creek, Gold, the uh, the Good Place, Ted Lasso, Gone Fishing. They're all very popular because in times of strife and they're, they're warm and comfortable, like we say. Yep, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm not going to go on too much about this because we've already talked a lot, but I just also wanted to draw attention to the fact that Margot was the breakout star. Yes. I mean, we've talked about it before, but she wasn't written as the star. This is a great example of writers who recognise that the character is more than they originally conceived. And they play up to that and adjust their writing accordingly based on the wonderful performance of Penelope Keith. And a similar thing happened with Mr Humphreys in in Are You Being Served, apparently. He wasn't meant to be front and centre at all. That was destined to happen, though, weren't it, I think? Probably so, yeah. He was such a... A, a great character and well written. I think it, with the good life, you could you could almost feel the shift with with Margot as well. You could feel when it happened. Yeah, second series around, isn't it? You could feel the shift. Yes, but I mean, she obviously regularly um, features in lists of top ten, top fifty comedy characters ever conceived. Yeah, and I think as the years have gone by, you see other characters who. The one that springs to mind actually is an American one where. The janitor in, in Scrubs wasn't yeah. even supposed to be a real person. He was a figment of JD's imagination in the first series. Okay. And then he was so good, they thought, shit, we better have him join the cast properly. And then he started interacting with the other characters, only in the second series of it. Up to that point. You know point, what? I never realised that about him. Yeah, up to in, that and point, he's he never a... interacted with anyone other than JD. <laughs> he's a brilliant character as well. Yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Jan Itor. Margot was a breakout star. Mm. But you can see similarities to Margot in other characters that came later. Yes. So, Ever Decrease the Circles, another Esmond and Larby thing. Martin in that is a, is a victim of his own obsession with trivialities and status, isn't he? But mm-hmm. like her, like Margot, he's, he's sort of grounded by his relationship with her more down-to-earth partner in Anne. Yes. And also, I guess... Peter Egan's character as well pulls him down to earth quite regularly, which is what yeah. that's what happens with Margot when she gets carried away. She's got that anchor with Jerry and the goods. Yeah, she she doesn't get too sort of far away from her actual point, does she? Because she's got people that are almost like holding up the mirror and saying, "This is right. This is this is what you're mm. dealing with, Margot." That's what everyone needs, I think, especially if people who are prone so. to wild flights of fancy and exaggeration as she is. Yeah. I suppose that the most obvious one is Hyacinth Bouquet, because she's obsessed similarly with status and appearances, hence the name given appearances. Yes. But she's more slapstick, and the comedy presented in that show is, is more lowbrow and not subtle and layered as you've got with Margot. So whilst it's the obvious comparison, I don't really think it's a very good one, personally. No. It was a great show, and I, re- I did really enjoy it, for the Patricia Routledge 
comedy element. She's quite a physical... Yeah. For, 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 for someone that's portraying such a lady who wants to be seen as a lady, <laughs> she... Um, she she got caught up in the physical comedy of of that show as well, which I think as as as, as a child that used to make me howl because she was she's brilliant at the physical stuff. Yeah, she is very yeah. good at what she does. It is more along the lines of those sort of David Croft type comedies, which is yes. slapstick and yeah. innuendo and stuff. Yeah, it wasn't as um, what's the word? I can't think what the word Clever. is. What I'm trying to say <laughs> that's yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. It wasn't as nuanced. There we go. Nuanced, yes. Well, well, Keeping Up Appearances was written by Roy Clark, who wrote Open All Hours. Yes. And Last of the Summer Wine, I think. And they are, and he was, a writer, I don't think it's unkind to say, who, who wasn't as layered and nuanced as the likes of Esmond and Larby. They were, he wrote yes. funny comedies, but they were of a different ilk. Yeah, definitely. Whereas Margot is, is an, as a character, she's an onion. She's like multi, multiple layers are peeled away as the show progresses. And if anything... Mm. She's dissimilar to Hyacinth, but she's similar more to characters we see, complex characters we see today, like um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character in Fleabag, who you, you learn more about as the show progresses. I mean, it's a totally different comedy, but I can yeah. see how Margot was seminal, I guess is my point. Yeah, definitely. The the, the sort of, the, the being flawed element of the character as well, mm. and the awareness of being flawed, I think, is something that, perhaps started with characters like Margot and, and that awareness of having of, of learning as, as they went along. Um, I think even though Margot is quite vocal about what she likes and what she doesn't like and what she thinks about other people, I found that from re-watching, I found Margot is quite self-aware as well at times and is able to adapt her behaviour based on the the learning element that that she's not always right. Yeah, perhaps. she's a grown up, isn't she? She she's able yes. to reflect and 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 to actually have the awareness to say I was wrong and go mm. back and and be contrite. And again, it's something that a lot of us now, when in days where people aren't necessarily acting as adults when they in the forties and fifties, yeah. guilty as charged, um, <laughs> could probably learn something from Margot. We can learn a lot from Margot, can't we? I think there's a blog post in all this shit. I've gone on for twenty minutes. So I'll probably just write a blog post. And um, cut some of this out, maybe. Or, do you think? I think I think it's um I think it's a, a great topic to 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 go off on. Definitely. Do you want to just get stuck into this last episode then? Um, let's, let's do that. Well, last episode of the proper of the series proper series four episode seven anniversary. Good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life. We are in the garden with Geraldine. Geraldine is struggling. She's, she's, she's finding the production of milk quite difficult, is poor Geraldine, this poor goat mm. that's in the, in the goods garden. Um, she's been a constant pretty much throughout the whole, whole series, hasn't she? she she's, she's always been there as Geraldine. She's been a good servant to the goods, that goat. She has. She has. Um, Tom is having a bit of a childish dicky fit in the garden, no pun intended, um, and he's throwing rocks the oil container that was left behind by the weavers. With a titty lip, isn't he? Oh, he's not happy. He's not happy. Barbara's shouting at him like a child because he he's behaving really petulantly, isn't he? But you know what? Do you think the, the male infantilism that goes into a lot of these sitcoms, including that of Tom, is written for the pleasure of women? To, you know, it's like... Because it makes women appear more adult and competent in comparison. 
you see a lot of childish men. Mm. And I, I, you know, this happens so much with Tom. I, I kind of wondering if it's just a comedy device to appeal to the women of the time. I wonder. I don't know. I'd never thought about that. But it does, it, like you say, it does happen a lot where Barbara ends up like taking on like a mother role, hmm. not just not just a wife. You get it in other sitcoms of the year as well. Look at Granville, you know. Yeah. That were sort of made to be childlike. Hmm. Only was a fully grown man, wasn't he? In their responses. I forget that sometimes about Granville. I forget that he's not like 10, that he's actually a grown man in it. (laughs) Yeah. The oil spill story has spilled over from last week and the... It's caused problems in the goods garden. Obviously, their garden is their their livelihood, isn't it? It's it's mm. their the food they produce. It's it's the surplus that they can sell. They really do need every little single spot of land that's in their garden in order to to function in 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 life. But the oil spill, Tom likens to like Texas gone wrong. So I sort of pictured like Dallas and and the big oil towers and, and oil spurting everywhere. I don't think it was as dramatic as that, but it has ruined the soil and it's polluted it. They start the, the, the goods are that it's obviously upset them both and they're both bickering with each other. And Tom starts to shout at Geraldine. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Geraldine's fault, is it? No. I felt but very sorry for Geraldine. He's like he's like this through the first half of the episode. Later on he shouts at Barbara, doesn't he? For no reason yeah. when he's not happy. You know, he's It must be frustrating though. If 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 this is what you're doing and it's it's all going wrong, it must be hard to not sort of project into the future about how it's just gonna continue going wrong and everything's gonna be wrecked. True, I suppose so. Yeah, you've got to I understand. Relate to him in that human way. Of course. Um then we're in the kitchen, Barbara's got a jug with Geraldine milk in it, which happens to just be a little tiny drip. And mm. that's all they've managed to get from poor Geraldine. And Tom says that he calls her a turncoat and that he's never liked her, which I, I felt was a bit unjust. Yeah, he's prone to hyperbole, isn't he? He is. I'm glad Geraldine couldn't hear or understand as she is a goat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but the, the, he comes up with a plan quite quickly. A plan to move the pig's, pigsty on top of the polluted land, which I which I think that goes back to his previous career as a draftsman and engineer and thinking sort of outside the box and and that ability to solve a problem. Yeah, he's a problem solver, all right. I mean, he was with pouting a, a, and sulking, but then at least he yeah. went into his kitchen and started trying to think what I can do about it. Exactly. And I think, is that not normal? That's quite natural behaviour, isn't it? To, to throw your teddies out of the cot and then come up with a plan. Pull yourself together, get your big boy pants on and sort this out. Mm. And I think that's what he did. Yes, good for him. Bravo, Jerry. The goods then come up with a plan in order to get some more money in order to do this, because this isn't going to be something that they can just cobble together. They're going to need to... It's going to be a bit of an investment, this, isn't it? In order yeah. to move the pigsty. And as usual, they've got... Fuck all in the way of um, cash on the head. Nothing. Yeah. I think one pound eighty three they've got saved up. Scary. It is. It is. So I think I, I think we should allow Tom to have a bit of a freak out about this. I think yeah. this is all right. He's all right. But they're, they're going to sell the records that they've built up over the years, and they're quite the the the, the way they, they discuss the the records that they've got in their collection and. I think like most people, you can look at a, 
an album. I can look at an album and it relates back to the time at which I listened to it. Mm. And I can feel I can feel sort of sentimental memories around LPs that I've got, for example. And they're doing this; they're going through the LPs. It's all classical and... music symphonies, and it's Shostakovich yeah. and stuff. It does make me think. Everyday tap that's around me now. How much will it be worth in thirty years? You know, because people yeah. often, most people you talk to who are at a certain age will have something they had, and they go, "Oh, if I kept hold of that, it'd be worth this now or that now." You know. I had all the Transformers yeah. toys, the Has- Hasbro Transformers toys, and yeah. my mum convinced me to give it to the boy next door because they weren't particularly well off. And they were like, yeah. they, the Series 1 really was oh. worth a lot of money now, you know. There's men all over the land with the same... I think Johnny gave his um, Millennium Falcon away. Oh, that would have been even more, mom. yeah. Which, yeah, I think it sticks in his craw mm. that it that it disappeared. But it shows we've got kind mums who think of other people. Exactly, thinking about other people, which is lovely. And I think, I think that the, the goods, are, are, the the battling with the sentimental value of these albums, knowing that they have they, they do have monetary value, and it's they've only just got them out. We've never seen these albums really throughout the whole. It's not like it's something that they they covet and they they look at with regularity. The only album um, we've seen is that one that they were playing to Douglas the. The, the seed, wasn't it? Douglas the seed, exactly, exactly. So can't remember who that was. Peter, somebody, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the, but there was a there was a musical involvement with Douglas the seed. So some this is something that they can they they could pass on. They head round to Margot and Jerry's house, not to sell the albums on to Margot and Jerry, but to ask if there's anybody that they know of who would perhaps mm. want to buy these albums, and. <laughs> The comedic element in this scene is the fact that the Leadbetters have had a burglar alarm fitted. Yeah. <laughs> which is has wonderful comic value. As Barbara and Tom are going through the door into Margot and Jerry's front room at the back through the patio doors, the alarm goes off and Margot comes flying out with a gun. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was a real gun, but she's prepared to go full Tony Martin on them, isn't she? Oh, she was she was she was ready. She Get was off ready. my land. Yeah. It looked like an like an ornamental Pistol. Yeah, I don't think it would have really scared off burglars. I always had the theory that uh, when I lived in the UK, if I ever heard burglars downstairs, I always said to Ali, the way I will deal with it, you know those lightsabers like the one I bought for Johnny? (laughs) The really realistic ones at night. I said, I'm going to take off all my clothes and go downstairs and just light that up. Because nobody wants to get into a fight with a Jedi let alone a fat naked Jedi. <laughs> They'll just a naked Jedi with with a lightsaber. No, you wouldn't, would you? You'd run. Yeah, I think yeah, it'd freak you out. You just got. That's the thing. You've got to freak these people out. Otherwise, they won't know how to cope with something like that. They'll they'd be prepared for someone coming down in fisticuffs and whatever. But if you just turn up Absolutely. with a naked lightsaber and start twirling it around, the element of surprise. Which yes. I think I think Adizard has talked about in in a lot of his a lot of the comedy and wearing makeup. The element of surprise. Is what would make someone just run away? Yeah, they can't handle it. They're like, "Shit, what do I do? Run away! Run away! Yeah, run away!" This serves Tom and Barbara right for always barging in and never knocking, don't you think? Yeah, because I think we've touched on that in the past that they just sort of swan into each other's homes. Mm. So yeah, they've set the alarm off and, and upset Margot with a gun. But although she she does she very quickly sort of reverts back to non-armed Margot. And she, good evening, Tom. Good evening, Barbara. <laughs> and 
Yeah. Um, she rings. She rings the police. This is a wonderful scene where she rings the police to get them to turn the to, to to sort of cancel the alarm. Cancel the alarm because apparently this this burglar alarm is linked to the police station, and they send a panda car out every time the Ledbetter's alarm goes off, uh-huh. which I can imagine is just oh my god, just must be chaos at the um, station. She's outraged that they haven't actually sent one yet, but can They've you imagine not sent anybody yet? Can you imagine her living in twenty twenty with the defunding of the police that's been going on? By successive governments, you know, there's there's no chance of you getting anyone out to the house now if you there's a burglary in progress. She would have set up a neighbourhood watch vigilante group mm. that would that would patrol the streets, and she would fund it. Je- no, Jerry would fund it. Jerry would slip <laughs> slip a check through someone's door, and then they would be on patrol for the evening. I'm sure mm. of vigilantes chasing hoodies. Down the street. Well, but the only way to deal with it in Surbiton now, probably, because you you got no chance. Even when you get a robbery that's happened, you won't get them to come out for ages, will you? Is, is no. my understanding because they like well, there's nothing we can do about it now. She's very upset about the prospect of no police coming out. Apparently, there's been burglaries in the district, and this is why the Leadbetters have invested in a burglar alarm. The goods haven't heard anything about this, and they're not really that bothered to be honest, because they said they've nothing worth pinching. Hmm. True. Several houses quite near to the avenue. Well, they'd have a rough time if they broke into ours. <laughs> Nothing left worth pinching. <laughs> That's true. The goods seem to come at things at the latter end, don't they? Because they're not really involved community-wise, I don't suppose, are they? They're not really knowing what's what's going on. I doubt they've got time to be to be socialising with their 82-hour no. days, weeks. The reason they've gone round with the records, though, is to check if anyone at the Music Society would want the records. Um, Margot's still not understanding what's going on, really. Um, and she's just, she's, she, she's trying to give them money. She's trying to sort of help them out yeah. without actually helping them solve the problem she, of selling the records. She thinks she's like a 1977 version of Music Magpie, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah, she is. I'll buy them off you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear me. Um, Jerry comes home. He's all smiley. Um, and the big news that they are hoping for is that Jerry has been given Sir's job. That's the... That's what they're waiting for. He's stringing them along, isn't he, though, sir? He loves, oh, yes. he loves the drama and he loves having them all at his beck and call and sort of, like, toadying to him, I think. There seems like there's a lot of, um, like, hoop jumping going on. Oh, God, yeah. But Jerry reveals that he doesn't think he's got the job. He's, um, sir has taken Snetterton to dinner and Jerry is just assuming that Snetterton's been given the job. Hmm. Jerry's being respectful on the outside and resentful on the inside. Which is which is quite a Jerry way of functioning, perhaps. Yeah, he's quite stoic, really. He is. He is. <laughs> then we're back in the kitchen. We're back in the God's kitchen to celebrate Tom's birthday. It's actually been two years since the God's started on this lifestyle path. Yeah. And they're celebrating, obviously, Tom's birthday because it was his 40th birthday when they started. So it must be his 42nd birthday. So he's got two little tiny fairy cakes, one to celebrate the birthday and one to celebrate the anniversary. Yes. Barbara has to very much talk him around because he's been so defeatist at this point. Where she's being a lot more glass half full and let's celebrate your birthday and look at everything we've achieved. Yeah, she's doing a lot of talking around, isn't she? She's doing a lot of, of trying to get him back on track. Yeah. And I think the lovely thing that she says to him here is, these have been the happiest two years of my life. 
yeah, I loved this. I loved this little back and forth between them when she says that these have been the happiest two years of my life. And he says, really? And she says, truly. And Tom, being being Tom, says, that's my doing. And she <laughs> says, that's more like it, my big head. And I, I liked that. I loved it. It seemed to bring him round and mm. realise what he has done, the achievement that he has made over the past two years. It also shows the argument that she, she was bullied into her life by Tom isn't true. You get people no. uh, who, who believe that. And whilst I do think Tom is awful in many, many ways, as I've discussed, mm. I don't think he's that bad that he literally forced and bullied her into it. It's clear that she loves it. She abs- She's quite explicit about that, not just to make him feel happy and, and to sort of pander to him. That's all she wants. She wants to be with him and she wants to be doing what they're doing, which I think is quite lovely, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. So they're going to have the Leadbetters round to celebrate that night. The Leadbetters don't know about this yet. And to to cheer them up, to get them to get them cheered up. And I think Tom's secretly hoping that the Leadbetters will bring some champagne round for his birthday, which they can then drink. Which he's explicitly asked Jerry to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life. Margot and Jerry's front room, we find... Margot sat at the at the bureau. Yes. In the corner. And she's busy writing to the Times about Jerry not getting Sir's job. Jerry, yeah, which do you prefer? Wanton or irresponsible? A wanton, I think. <laughs> yes. Wanton behaviour. Yes. Who are you writing to? Miss Mountshaft? Yeah. To the Times, actually. What are you writing to the Times about? You. <laughs> Listen. Sir, is it any wonder that British industry is the lame dog of Europe when so called managing directors are incapable of making rational decisions? How can Great Britain become great again when such wanton behaviour and crass stupidity as then I'm going on to say how Andrew didn't give you his job. <laughs> it's libel. The truth is never libelous. You are worth ten, Snetterton. Amazing. What? What? Uh, to, to think that that would be the first thing that would come to your mind in order to to make a statement about it. I think this is just a microcosm of how she operates. She's got no real power, despite being incredibly formidable. Mm. So usually her anger. And sharp tongue is aimed at tradesmen and the like. But whenever something doesn't go away, she's not happy. She has to lash out. And there's not much she can do about this decision that they assume Sir has taken. So yeah. the Times are going to get it. <laughs> That's it. It needs, to, it needs to be channeled somewhere. And it's mm. to the, the, the broadsheets. Jerry's quite resigned to the fact now that this is, this is what's going to happen and Snetterton's going to be in charge. Jerry's more concerned now about retaining his self-respect and he, he says that he's quite, he'd be quite happy to start all over again than stay where he was mm. under, under Snetterton. Doesn't want to call him sir, does he? No, no. And I think for Jerry, it's having some sort of self, self-respect, self I think, is quite important to Jerry, isn't it? I think so. He makes that joke that says, I could call him Kerr. <laughs> yeah. Does that mean wanker? Is that what he means? I don't know. I don't I don't know if it would do. Would it mean that in the 70s? Well, I couldn't see any other explanation for that joke. It took a while for me to even work out what it possibly could be. But when he said, I could call him Kerr, 
Margot laughs her head off, which is unusual for Margot, who's famously got no sense of humour. Yeah. And and I wouldn't have thought she'd laugh at such a crude remark uh, if it did yeah. mean that. But I can't think of what else it could have of meant. What else it would mean. Hmm. But I, I, I'm quite intrigued by the idea that whoever does become boss has to be called Sir. Is this something that white-collar workers used to do in all office environments? I don't know. It's... It doesn't. It's not something that happens anymore, is it? You don't. You don't get mm. even. Even your, your your big boss, you don't call them sir. But it's no. It's a bit like schoolmaster type yeah. nonsense, isn't it? Mm, maybe it's a follow on from that. But yeah, so he's not happy though, and I think there's a lovely touch where Margot says that she would quite happily start again for Jerry. She would even move to Epsom. Yeah, Jerry, if it meant retaining our self respect. I would be willing to start all over again, even if it meant moving to Epsom. <laughs> I bet she yeah. fucking would. I bet she would as well. Follow that pampas grass, Margot. And then Sir arrives. Shaking his jowls. <laughs> he is in, uh, he's, he's very much in that mode, isn't he? He's very much he in Sergeant Major. He's had a couple Major. of nips, I reckon. I think he has, yeah. I think he has. Tom and Barbara arrive as well, and they start to mouth off to Sir, sort of as if they're in like some big gang for, for Jerry, uh, yeah. against against Sir, telling him what they think about the fact that he's chosen Snetterton. And then they ask him, right, why did you take um, him to dinner, Sir? And it all transpires... If they'd have just waited, Sir was taking Snetterton out for dinner to let him down gently so that he could tell Jerry that he was going to give him the job. So Jerry is the new managing director of JJM. Yeah. And Sir, gives it, as he gives him the good news, he says, you assume the crown as to the manor born. Oh, there we go. Lovely synchronicity there. It's me that's pointing oh, to the manor born. It. He said it. He said it. <laughs> Not only does he say to the manor born, he's, somebody says the good life later. Oh, see? Double Lots whammy. Pointed at the screen. Uh, and it was the format that did it. It was Jerry's format mm. from the episode where they went out for dinner and he, he left it on the driveway. He dropped it on his way to the um, actual dinner. But it was it was the format and it was the fact that Jerry had done it in his own time on his own paper as well. <laughs> his own paper? That swung it. <laughs> that swung it Bloody for hell. him. Easily pleased, really, isn't he? he oh, Yes. Absolutely. Um, but Tom is quite apologetic about speaking out and shouting at Sir. He's, he's funny, though, isn't he, when uh, he cracks that joke when, when Sir says, Oh, old Sir isn't, isn't exactly flavour of the month. Well, old Andy doesn't seem to be the flavour of the month, does he? Not unless this month's flavour is yuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a belting line. Sir's plan moving forward, because they ask him what, what do you plan to do with your retirement? Sir's going to try his hand at self sufficiency, apparently. Mm-hmm. However, it's a more sort of pumped up, roided version of self sufficiency. He's, 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 he's going to buy himself a massive big pile in the country. He's bought himself Farley's place that the other fellow was trying to sell in the series he's, too, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> he has. He's, he's investing in, in self-sufficiency. He's not really sort of going to be living the life of someone. No. Under that cosh, really, is he? But he's hugely keen on the idea. He bellows out the word reproduction at one point and Margot <laughs> winces. <laughs> oh, dear me. What are the chances that he'll have a coronary by this time next week if he starts like trying to, you know... Milk the goats and yeah, you can it's see not for that him, is it? it's not it's not going to happen. No, I think he'll have people. He'll have people to be self sufficient on his behalf, perhaps. 
Mm, at not the really most. self-sufficient at all. It's not. Um, but the alarm gets set off again. Um, this this blasted alarm. And Margot rings the police very quickly to tell them it's a, it's a false alarm. And they've already sent somebody. And she's, she asked them to call them off, call them off. Um, and then they tell her to book her ideas up, <laughs> which really made me laugh. Her face, her face when she's, when she's saying that is, um, is quite funny. So, yeah, it turns out that, that Sir has bought Viscount Plymouth's old house along with his land and his staff. So there we go. It's already in place. He's bought it. He's, yeah, it's like an, an off-the-shelf version of, of self-sufficiency. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And this is going to come as a shock to all of you. But I'm going to follow the example of two young people that I hold in the very highest esteem. Who? You two. <laughs> Us? <laughs> and it turns out that all along that Sir knew that Fatima and Tim were actually Tom and Barbara. And it yeah. was just a device that he that he'd sort of um assumed in order to, to put people on edge, which is quite a, a sneaky, snidey way of, of working, isn't it? He's not a particularly nice man, as he says he gets off on he pretty much admits he gets off on um not antipathy, what what was the word he said? Conflict or something. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that was that that's a, a device that, that quite a lot of people that are trying to influence people perhaps perhaps use. Hmm. Um, but they say, let's go let, Let's go next door for a celebration. The, the celebrations are going to start round at the Goods House. There's an oi-oi. There's an oi-oi. I think an one, oi-oi? Of, one of them oi-ois. It's not an audience oi-oi. I think it's a Tom oi-oi. But one of the characters oi-ois. And no. then they, they grab the champagne and they head next door. And there's a funny scene of them congering through the garden. Quite reminiscent to, to the start of the series, of series one, where they're in the garden messing about. Yeah, but this time the Leadbetters are joining in. Yeah, and there's 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 conga music, conga conga music, the good lifestyle. But they they get into the house, ready to start celebrating to find that the goods have been broken into by the the, the vandals that have been turning over houses in the avenue. In the middle of the evening as well. They spread walls and turned over all the furniture, and it's it's quite a sad state of affairs, isn't it? Barbara's gutted. And she can't understand why. Why them? No, it's very sad, although some probably non-deliberate humour made me laugh. What was that? Well, I was looking around seeing if I could see any cock and balls drawn on the wall. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't. But what I did see, (laughs) which still (laughs) makes me laugh to think about, was, you know, they graffitied the walls inside the house. They'd written the words naff off (laughs) on the living room wall. Oh, do you think they'd have to sort of rein it in a bit? Do you think it had said something worse first? I think they'd just been released from Slade Prison, with yes. language like that. Naff off. Yeah, I mean, they'd even ripped up Tom's Tom's birthday card, which is very um, nihilistic, isn't it? It is. Oh, yeah. It, it just... Heartbreaking. It, it was heartbreaking, and it felt I felt really sad on the good's behalf. Having said that, though, if it was these days, they'd have, took a sh- they'd have probably shat in it. Oh, yeah, there'd have been dirty protests all over the walls, I'm sure. There'd yeah. have been all sorts of dirtiness. Yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't have been naff off and a ripped up car, It would have been it? naff off. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Apparently, it's just it's just the front room. They've not stolen the vegetables out of the wardrobes, which is good <laughs> news. I'm glad. I'm glad about that. Um, Geraldine's then, still got a horn. She's still got the horn. Um, and the police are called again, for, for obviously, for the for the correct reason this time. 
Margot's insistent that it should be 99 years plus in prison for the people that, mm. that end up getting caught and Tom wants to kill them. But it's just very sad. Jerry and Margot just look very sad at the at the fact that their friends have been done over in such a bad way. Mm. Jerry tries to convince Tom that he needs to call it a day now. Nothing's gone right since the beginning. He even offers him his old job back now that he's the managing director, just until he gets back on his feet. Mm. And it's there's yeah, there's there's sort of discussion about just coming back to a to a realistic life and, and moving away from what he's been doing. But Barbara, Barbara just seems to have this weird light bulb moment that, that's just completely out of nowhere. She says, Geraldine's not giving milk because she needs to be mated again. It's mm. almost like she's just seen the light in, in the midst of all this chaos. Jerry's still insistent that you, you can't keep continuing with this. What What needs to happen in order for you to give up? And Barbara, this is quite like you said at the beginning. It's quite a, there's quite a lot of pathos in this in this episode. And she says it's not our failure. This thing that's happened is not our failure. It's somebody else's, and that's quite true, isn't it? It's not the fact that they've failed. It's not something that they've done wrong. It's just a bad situation. I see where she's coming from, but yeah, you, you have to deal a hand. You you have to deal the hand you dealt. You have to play with the hand you dealt, and they've yeah. been dealt a rotten hand here. Their soil's fucked. The house mm. is vandalised, they've got no money. And even if they get the the goat pimp to come round with his prize goat fucker. Yeah. Um, and she starts spewing out milk from every single tit, mm. they'll still have these problems, won't they? So I I can I'm on Jerry's side thinking, come on, you could go back Are to work for six months and then start afresh. It's a very kind offer. And maybe I'm that's, that's probably just to do with how much how pragmatic minded I am. Mm. I suppose that in sitcom world, that would be a defeat to end on. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. not very palatable. But it's not a very palatable ending anyway, is it? It's not really. It's not. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of, of, you know, keeping going against all adversity. I think at some point it's healthy mentally to give up on something that's not quite working because mm. there might be something else out there that you can do. Well, just regroup. So try... that, that's, all, exactly. that's all that Jerry's suggesting here. He is. He is, but I like I like Barbara's, and I think it, again it shows Barbara to to not have been dragged along with all this. It wasn't just Tom and sort of berating his his wife into this life and making her sort of be part of it, even though she didn't want to be. I think Barbara coming up with this made it made me more insistent that it was a joint. This was a joint effort. Mm. It wasn't something that Tom was just making her do. Yeah, because he was tempted here, Tom. Until mm. Barbara, yeah, sort of just showed her single-mindedness. Usually, it would be Tom being single-minded and on the self-sufficiency trail, but it was Barbara. Mm. Yeah. At this stage, they get the glasses out. There's only one thing for it, and that's to tip out some champagne for everyone to enjoy. And Margot says, "I've always said that you two were foolhardy, but my word, if there were more people with your spirit in this country, we'd still have an empire." <laughs> we'll do that next year. There you are, look at it. We're on the way up already, you see? Oh, Jerry, here's to you. Oh, no. I've only become a managing director. You've just taken life by the throat and throttled it to death. I don't understand that. No, neither do I. Still, I know what I mean. Anyway, we're drinking to Tom and Barbara and their bizarre life. It may be bizarre, Jerry, but it's a good life. Yes, that's it. That's it. Here's to the good life.
Um, and I, and I quite like that. I like the fact that it finished on 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 this sort of feeling that the Ledbetters they love the gods so much. They are they hold them to high esteem, and despite the fact that it's not something that they would involve themselves in, they they understand that their friends it's a big part of their friends' life. Now, I can't remember in the Christmas episode that we see next whether there's any resolution to these problems that the goods are having or whether it's just about the Christmas. About Christmas itself. Yeah, mm. I would like to see some resolution because it seems to me that they're just stubbornly carrying on. But we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, and then they stand there. They look like they're going to stand there drinking and beaming awkwardly for the entire credits. Mm. I thought, oh, this is going to be awkward, Heidi High territory. Yeah. And uh, but for, thankfully it, it faded out after a couple of seconds. Yeah, because <laughs> they had no chairs. Too much. The, I know. You know the dirty protests on the chairs. They couldn't sit down. No. Naff off on the wall. So. Naff off. It was. Uh, yeah. It was. I think it was. It was a bit of an anticlimactic ending. Such a big thing to get. They, they got robbed, but it, they sort of got over it quite quickly. Let's hope that it's an anticlimactic ending to series four because we get. A nice resolution in the Christmas one. I do recall that the, the the very last one was unsatisfactory, but it wasn't meant to be. It was because the Queen had requested it. Right. So, uh, really, the proper ending is the next one we do. I is think. the next one. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Tom. Goodbye. So, that brings us to the end of the four series, the four main series of The Good Life. Yep, that's it. Did you have an MVP? For this episode, my MVP was Barbara. Was it? It was. It was okay. because I felt that she she was almost there as a as a grown up figure in order to keep Tom going and to just bolster the the life that they've that they've got. And even mm-hmm. when there was the challenge, obviously the massive challenge of being burgled, having other options presented to her. As this, you can't carry on doing this. You need to be more realistic. She was still there as like the major support for for keeping going, which I admire. I don't agree with, but I perhaps I, I admire Barbara for not just being sort of the second in command. She she sort of took on a bit of a a leader role here, and I thought that was very admirable. Yeah, I can understand why you've why you've gone for Barbara. I've gone for Jerry this week. Okay. He landed the job he wanted. He did indeed. That he's been angling for, and he's clearly the best man for it. And he was very um, kind in, in immediately offering Tom, his friend, his job back yep. in the face of his adversity. And he thought he was, whether he was or he wasn't, I'm inclined to think he was doing the right thing. Okay. It, was cer- it was certainly within his uh, belief system that he, it, it, the time had come to just sort of say firmly, you can't keep doing this. Mm. And I'm with, I'm with him actually. I mean, yeah, I can understand exactly where he's coming from, and that's what he was doing. And uh, he was doing it in a sort of firm but gentle way, and he just had his friend's best interests at heart. So I'm giving it to Jerry again. It was very admirable and and very brave as well. But uh, but I think it still highlights the the relationship between the two couples that they can do that. They can they can speak so openly and. There might be a bit of a um, bit of minor hostility, perhaps at first, but they hmm. they both have the best interests at heart for each couple. So, Sorry. where are we up to then? Does does the MVPs does it stop here, or does it continue into the Christmas specials? 
I think we should wait until after the Christmas Keep going. specials. I want to see if Her Majesty gets one in the very last episode. Madge, yeah. Yeah. Shall we shall we have a look at Fashion Corner for this week? Yeah, let's do it. Fashion Corner, Fashion Corner. Fashion Corner, Fashion Corner. It's it's very lead better heavy. Um, this fashion corner, I must admit. Although I do want to make a special mention to Barbara's Baker Boy hat, which has turned up every so often back in the again. series. It's back again, and it's often um, it often coincides with her being mistaken for a boy. But it's a very cute little hat that she wears um, with with such not with flair, but she really does rock it. She rocks the Baker Boy hat, and I, I do love Barbara her. in the little hat. Margot. When she's making calls to the police in the earlier on in the episode, she's got a salmon pink caftan and headscarf, matching headscarf with big yeah. gypsy earrings, which seem to become towards the latter end of the series. It's it's a style that she ad- she adopts quite often for 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 swanning round the house purposes. She's quite caftan heavy in series four, isn't she? I think so, and I think a caftan is perfect. It's it's very Margot esque. Um, it's very swooshing around the housing, and I think she has has a variety of, of caftans in the wardrobe, a bit like Dennis the Menace with his stripy jumpers. She just pulls out another day. She must have like a Tuesday caftan, Wednesday caftan, yeah. dependent on what she's up to. Uh, Jerry, when he comes home from work after thinking that he's not been given the job of new sir, he's got a blue and white stripy shirt on of very various thicknesses I think he's I think he's worn this before this is something that I've spotted before but Jerry Jerry's style throughout all four series of, of, of the show I don't think he would look out of place now I, I think it is very much of its time but it's I think it's so classy and classic in, in the way that he dresses, I think you could drop him into into modern day times and he would still look cool. There's, there's quite a few things like cr- cravats and stuff wouldn't perhaps look that great. I don't know. I don't know anyone that wears a cravat really apart from at a wedding. Maybe he'll be dressing more formally from now on now that he's the new Yeah. Suit. Yeah. I don't think the check pants would, would come out again. I think it's all it's all muted black colours from now. He might start shaking his jowls. Calling Tom Tin. We also see Margot a little bit further on in the episode in a brown, black, orange, and peach knitted striped, like long sleeve top. It's almost like a smock dr- dress with with something underneath, uh, which is very sort of reminiscent of the seventies. And those colours as well, those muted tones, uh, become more apparent later on in the, in the series. True. Jerry's there in his red cardi again. The red cardi made another appearance. Is is Mr. Rogers' red cardi, which I can imagine. I, I don't know. I think it, it it looks as though it feels quite squeaky. It's got that that squeaky squeaky, squeaky man-made um, polyester knit. I mm. think would Jerry's Jerry's cardigan. Other than that, I think that was it for Fashion Corner this week. It was it, yeah, it was very lead better heavy. There were some pokies and a tit tab. Were there? Yeah, only subtle pokies, but I saw them. All right. My pokey radar went off. Was it when she was all flustered and, and cross? It was when she was um, preparing for Tom to come down on his birthday. All right. Oh, yeah. okay. So we had Tit Tab and we had an oi oi. An oi oi. In this no, final one. No cigarettes. No, no tap tap. No. 
So we're coming to the end now, but of course you are welcome to follow along with what we're doing by following us on Facebook, search for Sado Podcast, and our Twitter and Instagram handles are at Sado Podcast. We post lots of rare video footage and photos from both this show and other sitcoms of the 70s and 80s. You can visit our website at sado.club and subscribe to our newsletter, read our blog posts or listen to episodes on the website if you don't do podcast apps. And you can get in touch with us by emailing sadopodcast.gmail.com and let us know what you think. Maybe let us know what you'd like us to do next because after a short break, we'll be getting stuck into something else, won't we, Al? We will. I'm very excited about the prospect. It, I, was, I was starting to feel a little bit sad because we were getting towards the end of the good life, but it, that's it. We don't have to stop here. It's, it's, there's only... There'll be something else, something just as fun to do. Yeah, yeah, it's just the end of this, but it's only the beginning. It would be nice if you left us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, because um, we know we've got a number of listeners and it's growing all the time, but we don't really have that many reviews, so poor us. Get your tiny violins out and then put them away and leave us a review. (laughs) Next week's episode is the Christmas special, the only Christmas special of the entire run, but it's a classic. Um, It's one everyone loves. It's called Silly, but it's fun. From 1977. Oh, it's one of my faves. It really is. Yes, yeah, so we will be wearing the newspaper on our head and watching that uh, next week, which we're recording this on the 21st of December. So we could actually watch this on Christmas Eve or something else. Yeah, I might do that. I might save it for the ultimate Christmas special and, and sit with a blanket on me with my pretend Harrods hamper. Hmm. Because Boris has cancelled Christmas, so that's what you have yeah, to do. Yeah, he's cancelled. I'm just going to eat twiglets out of the box, I think. And, and Sounds an and, ideal Christmas to me. Yeah, that's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? And so, so yes, that I will save it. So, I mean, the episode itself won't come out, as you're probably listening to this episode sometime in late February, early March. Yeah. But this is how far in advance we are. So that's next week's. Other than that, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Goodbye. Oh, silly. Can you see this horrible cold saw I've got there? No. It hurt him. Yeah, it's like, well, you get a cold sore here, or do you get cold sores? I don't. Touch wood. No, I don't. Because I get, and when you get them here, every time you like yawn or scream, scream, mm. <laughs> <laughs> which is obviously hourly in my existence, <laughs> it rips open. Yawn. <laughs> <laughs> From yawning or screaming. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. It's just really sore. Ah! <laughs> 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 uh, it's bleeding a bit. Scream! Oh dear! Oh, I think you need more vitamin C then. I think I might do. Uh, <laughs> just, to, just to stop screaming randomly. Just to not scream. Day. Yeah, you're already not screaming. <laughs>